everybody. Welcome back to You're Wrong. Luciano, what uh, would we still wrong about this week? Or what are they still wrong about them? Oh, no, you're, you're wrong too. Why um, am I wrong? You continue to be wrong about The Mandalorian. Only, you know, not about the beginning of the series, about or the season, about the, the end of the season. So we all, we, we, Matt and I realized that we were sort of scatterbrained a little bit or maybe a, a big bit last time. So we're going to try a little bit of a different thing. We're going to talk about the episodes um, individually first, and then we'll go into our usual rambling. So hopefully you guys can follow a little bit better our insanity. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but you know, we'll it. see what happens. Yeah. So we left off uh, after Sanctuary Chapter 4, and we will go into The Gunslinger, which is Chapter 5. Then this one, Mando crashes into Tatooine, and he needs to, you know, find money to fix his ship. Uh, he goes after Fennec Shand, with, uh, which is an assassin, with Toro Calican, and gets betrayed at the end, as, uh, as we all knew he would from the first second of the episode. And then... <laughs> Um, ends up, you know, killing the guy, obviously. And I think the most important part of this is kind of the, it shows him kind of caring for baby Oda more than just, Oh, I, I feel like this, um, necessity to do so from going from there to, Oh no, I really like this little guy and I want to protect him and I feel responsible for him. So I yeah. think I think that's really what the episode wanted to convey. So yeah, some honestly for me, and I'll just go into this right now. The my my main the thing I like the most about this episode is Tatooine because it hits me in the feels so hard. You know, um, you no, know, I agree with you. I I kind of put a note here that I'm not mad about Tatooine, but it's interesting <laughs> how often we come back to yeah. such a what should be just. A, a backwater planet. planet? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a fucking <laughs> desert planet, and we always show up here all the time. And I'm not yeah. mad about it. Like you said, like it's cool. Well, in this case, I, I understand it much more because he's like just running. Who knows how he ended up near Tatooine, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like I I like the the nostalgia of it. And this is like a good way of using nostalgia that doesn't interfere. It's like it's not a plot point for it to be nostalgic. Right, it's exactly, just yeah. it's just a a bonus for you know nerds like us who who know shit like, oh my god, they have droids manning the cantina now. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Right, but all of that to your point, like if if like Laura watches it and she doesn't, she you know she watches Star Wars, but she doesn't care that much. But like she, it doesn't matter to her. Yeah, that they're on Tatooine or that they're in the same cantina and now there's a droid working there, et cetera, et cetera. But for you and I, it's just like oh, well, yeah, it's it's that makes sense. Like things have moved on and. Life, life's happening on Tatooine. Yeah, I also, I also like that. I think it's in this episode they kind of try to convey the fact that the Razor Crest is sort of a shit bag of a of a ship that nobody a, really likes. They do a much better job of of enforcing that it's a piece of junk. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I made a note here. Um, I just laughed li- reading it because I remembered it. Like when when he finally manages to kill the other guy and and come into Tatooine, like. It, it shows the ship flying like kind of overhead of the camera mm-hmm. and it sounds like an old 4T sort of sputtering. Yep. Like it's running out of gas or something. <laughs> it's so great. Like the, the engine sound just going, you know, like a 1910s car. It's great. 
And I think, oh yeah, it isn't this one obviously that he he continued. Like I, I thought the first episodes sort of touched very lightly on you know what his problems are with droids. He clearly doesn't like droids, but here, like even the tiny pit droids, he hates them and he shoots them, and he, like he, he really doesn't like droids here. Yeah, and like obviously we know why he doesn't like droids because they murdered his family. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, um, but but you're right. Like it's it's starting to breathe into the world and his character more. It like I mean I think the complaint about episode four is that well it gave him a friend in in Cara Dune. It the story kind of doesn't do a lot to to push the narrative that well or like to not narrative but like if you're not going to push the narrative you should be developing your characters and like it seemed like that episode really didn't do a lot of anything it pushed the narrative slightly it gave him a friend but it didn't really talk about his backstory or anybody else's backstory or what's going on so like this one starts to kind of actually push his backstory push like why he's here what he's doing what he has to do in a more interesting way I don't know if I well I agree with with you know the previous one it's only there to introduce Karadun right that's that's all it's there for um the rest is like oh let's make a samurai movie in space that's that's what that movie is with the 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 stand against a much bigger force and and so on and so forth sure. this this yep. one I think it does a good job of showing the relationship he has with baby Yoda but that's it like all of the rest this is like if it wasn't well done because all of the episodes and this is something we're probably going to discuss a little bit more towards the end but like there's a lot of love and care put in every single episode of the series so far at least right and if if this episode wasn't done with such as much care as it was i think you would like have felt like filler for me because it does very little to push the story it, it does develop the characters especially his character yeah but that's it right I, I think that's okay. Like, I, I know what you're saying. Like, ideally, we want everything to be go, 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 action, action, action. But the reality is TV is not done that way. So at least this time they developed his character in a meaningful way versus last time where it was just like, well, here's your friend Cara Dune and you beat the shit out of some people. Cool. And also, it doesn't really give much much of, like, a, uh, a background on her, right? Only, oh, she's a shock trooper. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, like you don't learn anything about anybody realistically. That's not, that's not a shock complaint. trooper. Anyways, this isn't this isn't a podcast about episode four. We already yeah, yeah, yeah. We already did that one. So here in this one, um, like uh, what I what I, I I I spent a little bit of time thinking about why it bothered me that it was like it was like was you know why did I feel like it was almost filler? I mean, I think it's because. It's the exact opposite of four, where you get to meet a character that's going to come back later. It's an episode where every new character you meet almost dies, right? You really meet three new sort of like major side characters, which is uh, Pally, uh, which is the the mechanic, then Fennec Shand and Toro uh, Calican, and out of those three, two die, right? And so it feels like. Nothing like nothing really comes out of this episode other than showing to us that he really cares about Baby Yoda, which is fine. The problem I have with with an episode like this is that this is not a twenty four episode season. This is an eight episode season. So to spend a whole episode doing that to me feels a little bit like a waste of time. If that makes any sense, it makes sense. But um, this you is disagree. Well, I disagree because I've watched <laughs> season two, 
So uh, okay. I'll, I'll just leave it there. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it for everybody who's kind of following along with us. Um, I, you know, I've, I've said it and I'll say it here just to be clear. This episode, you're right. In, in season one, it doesn't come back to mean anything. Mm-hmm. In season two, um, what's happened here matters into the plot lines of season two. So they are going to use it. It's not just a one-off. Okay, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And that that actually, uh, just just like I said on you know the previous podcast episode, one of them that I said, the other movies kind of make Force Awakens worse. I guess this is the opposite then. You know, this is like sort of like, okay, this is fun, but kind of pointless, but then it becomes you know, meaningful, that's even better. Well, yeah, I mean, we did have the the fun foreshadowing at the end of this episode, right? Of the character uh, at the very end. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that completely. Like someone kneeling by Fennec's body. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Okay, yeah. fair enough. And that, that pays off later on. So oh, Wow, a whole season later, huh? Oh, that, well, that's... I mean... It's it, you make it sound brutal when it's a whole season. It's not like twenty five episodes. It's like oh no no. I'm this is a good thing because yeah. it shows that they're planning beyond just one season. Yeah, like we'll get into this when we talk about season two because yeah, it, they do a good job here of setting up up the arc in this season to to give them stuff to work with in the next season. Yeah. So let's let's do. We have anything else we want to specifically say about this, or should we jump? Uh, into no, I'm going to talk about it on the general. Like it's it's a minor thing in here that kind of have repeating stuff elsewhere so i'll talk about it later yeah yeah if it's gonna it's gonna be Genetic. talking about like all the episodes we should have yeah. it there i just have one question before we leave this and i want to shout out uh, i really enjoy amy sedaris's character um the the mechanic i think she's mm-hmm. a fun character very fun take yes. shit from mando um uh, fans will see that that stupid red droid from a new hope is still working the one that had a bad motivator that's supposed to be that same droid allegedly. oh really yeah nice um and then the question i have is i still don't understand how money works in star wars i think it was 10 grand to catch fennec shand if i looked at the puck correctly yeah is that good is that i don't know okay and just... and is is 10 grand a lot or a little or but... just right to fix his ship yeah because like i i forget when we think back to the um, the shit from solo like which money thing i can't remember the I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all credits, right? But like when they were were doing like it was the the values were all over the place. Wasn't it like 60 million worth of credits in the end or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. So does that buy you like an Imperial fleet? No idea. Um, Not important. Just I'm just going to I'm going to hit on this every chance I get now. Um, And then the only other thing I point I want to point out is like, how do you memorize a tracking fob? So, yeah, so. I, uh, yeah, and also did, don't didn't you think Man- Mandel's reaction to him smashing them the tracking fob was a little too blasé? Like, I, I just think Mando had no, nothing else going, so it's just like I know. Uh, well, he's a very stoic character, which I I, I enjoy very much. But yeah. yeah, it's like oh, I memorized the tracking fob. How you're gonna go beep 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 yourself? Like what the fuck? Yeah, like like at least acknowledge the fact that like she's been stationary or something. So I can memorize her, her location, but it seems weird to destroy. Cause I assume the tracking fob tells you where the person is and where they're moving. So if you get rid of it, what if she didn't stay there? What if she moved? You couldn't find her. Yeah. There's a lot of, of little things like this that, that I, I kind of noticed, but it's something I want to kind of discuss at the end of when Great. we when you finish discussing episode six. Okay. Okay. So, so go, go for it. Let's get into episode chapter six. That's the prisoner. Uh, and in this episode, Mando teams up with some of his old hunting buddies or work buddies. Um, 
led by Rand Malk. Uh, and they're looking for, he's looking for a job. So he hooks up with uh, this person to get a new job. Uh, now, Rand Malk doesn't go with them, but they go with uh, Mayfeld, uh, Berg, the Deveronian strongman. There is Q9-0, who's the droid pilot. And there's a uh, toilet knife expert. How do they pronounce it? Xian? Yes. Xian. Uh, Xian, yeah. Yeah. And I also say Twi'lek. Twi'lek, Twi'lek. I, I, I yeah, know. that's we can talk about that later. But anyways, so so I just want to point out a couple things here. This is easily my favorite episode of the season. Like chapter eight is fun because it's the end end of the season, and they're obviously going to blow at the stops. But I just really enjoyed this story. Um, they go to a rebel prison ship, and they are trying to rescue a prisoner on the ship, which turns out to be Quinn, who is Jian's uh, brother. Um, and then, you know, hijinks ensue. Mando is supposed to help them. They don't trust the Mando. Mando doesn't trust them. Uh, so he breaks in, kicks some ass. Mayfeld's kind of impressed. They kill somebody when Mando doesn't want to. And finally they get Quinn and they stuff Mando into a jail and he has to break out and he hunts them all down. And somehow in 30 minutes, this seems like an hour and a half worth of a movie. Like, I was going to say that exactly the same. Like it felt like way longer in the best possible way. Yeah, like it was like Mando stalking him, specifically the part where he's stalking Mayfeld, who's played by <laughs> Bill Burr, which I just love, and like yeah. the flashing strobe lights, and he's like creeping up on him, creeping up on him, creeping up on him. Just really like chef's kiss to like, you know, mild horror movies. Like That's it's, exactly it's, what I wrote. I wrote down exactly the same thing. Yes. Yeah, it's so, so well done. Um, yeah. And at the end, um, we see the... I don't know if it's the worst. No, it can't be the worst acting. Comparable acting to Gina Carano in having three of the directors show up as <laughs> X-Wing pilots to blow up uh, Rand Malk's um, space station. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Mando escapes, and you see that they put everybody in jail except for Quinn, who dies with Malk on the space station, we we presume, right? We I, In my brain, the first time I watched it, they blew up the space station, but it doesn't actually happen. They just shoot the ship coming out and light it on, like... It seems like they blew it up, but they keep on shooting at it, right? At yeah. And if you see when when it fades, they're still going around shooting it. So 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 it's implied, but who knows for sure, right? I would say that it's pretty sure that the Quinn dies because um, he was yeah. right beside the ship, but but uh, Ran runs away. So right. So maybe he's still alive somewhere. We don't yeah. know. Um, coming uh, coming after Mando in season three. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> some shout outs here. Again, Bill Burr as Mayfeld. I love, I really enjoyed his character. I love the simple nods to like him, uh, Mando dissing him as a sharpshooter. And yeah. he says he's not a stormtrooper, which I just think is excellent. Um, it's like I you're reading my notes now. Yeah. Well, uh, well, this is why we do this podcast together, right? Yeah. I didn't look up <laughs> Berg, um, who played, yeah, it is Clancy Brown. Okay, so I just thought, Brown, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I wanted to confirm it, but it was Clancy Brown, which he looked a lot bigger than I expected him to look. I don't know why. He's I a don't tall know dude. It just made yeah. him wider, I think. Clancy Brown is one of those actors who's like been in everything you like or has been a voice actor. Like he's a voice actor for like, wow. Um, you see him everywhere. You know, you can understand, you know, his voice immediately. Yeah. Um, but you don't know you're seeing him. He's had just a, a, such an interesting career. Um, also, Q9-0 was voiced by um, Richard, Richard Iodi. Yes, yes. He makes a great droid. Rather enjoy that. I mean, that. He, he almost is a droid on his own. If you've ever <laughs> watched him is, on, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Taskmaster or, yeah. or 8 out of 10 cats does countdown. Yeah. His his delivery is very robotic-like, so he <laughs> yeah. it works perfectly. Um, and then uh, Jeanne, um, she is, uh, the actress for Jeanne is the same actress for Nymphadora Tonks in the Harry Potter movies. 
So there's some nerd, super nerd she's culture. She's also there. she's also on um, Game of Thrones, which you you wouldn't you know know. I wouldn't haven't not watched it. Right. Uh, just getting the name. She is Osha. Yeah, one okay. of the one of the wildlings. There you go. So lots of fun connections there. Um, <laughs> we kind of pointed out a lot of the same things for this episode already, but some other things I wanted to point out uh, were it was interesting to see a bit of uh, Mando history with Jian, to sort of hearing about his backstory, what he was up to in the intervening times. Um, I really enjoy Mayfeld shitting on Cantopite. <laughs> yeah. That was just like, thank you. That place sucks. Um, and, and, and the only other thing I want to bring up is... Um, they did a really good job of, you know, when we watched the original Star Wars movies, the tech they're using, they're using high tech technology for like computers and stuff for the 70s, like the 80s, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And they do such a good job of making it seem like that is futuristic tech, even though it's coming from like literal limitations. So like when they're planning the mission to drop in to the ship and they're looking at that screen, and it's just like the grids. Yeah. Um, it just looks like it's futuristic, even though like it was completely built by a limitation when they made the original Star Wars movies. Yeah, so that's that's a good segue into something I wanted to complain about because it wouldn't be me if I didn't complain. It's so at this point in having watched as much of Star Wars as I have, um, and I'm not just talking about the podcast; I'm talking about in general. I'm I'm a firm believer in the fact that ships in Star Wars work by magic, like just pure magic, <laughs> because. Okay. That whole idea of like the way the Bill Bird describes it too is like, oh, if we if we uh, pull out of hyperspace and then approach in an attitude like this, and it's like just some random bumping around in, in that grid that you said, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be in their blind spot. Like none, like their entire sentence makes no sense to me. Yeah, like why would they be in a blind spot if they bump around like a like a yo-yo? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, like I, I don't. I don't know how how blind spots exist in space. Like, there's nothing exactly. to hide in. Exactly. What blind spot? How? Like, if you if you think about the way that submarines work, right? Because this is probably the closest that that a space ship can get to. You have a lot of blind spots from from a submarine standpoint because a submarine does have windows, right? You have to rely on on. Uh, machinery like tools and and sensors and shit. sonar and whatnot yeah yeah which they do too right the, there's a you know there's a point where they they talk about not in this necessarily but they talk about having sonars lasers that kind of stuff and right. but they have windows we saw we've seen them this is uh, this is the equivalency <laughs> to being it's it's a plane right it's just like planes in the air like yeah if you're on a jet and another plane flies by you 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 see that, do you not? Yeah. Also, like, if it pops out of nowhere, when which is what it looks like when it pops out of hyperspace, you're gonna notice, right? Even if, you it, if it's if it's a prison ship that isn't expecting anything, but like, come on, right? You have sensors, right? You should be sweeping all the time for like random yeah. shit to pop up. And now and then this goes back to the, something on episode five too. Like you know, he gets shot by that guy. And then his both of his engines fail, and it looks like he loses power and everything. And then he goes, he stands up, he goes to some back panel, flips some like three or four switches, and everything turns back on again. Oh, and and we hit my favorite question of Star Wars. After that is, do things have shields? Oh, well, when <laughs> when it's useful, yes. 
Because like that hunter flies over him and then he puts two shots into him, blows up his ship. But like he never hit him once before. So does that guy fly around on a ship that literally has no shield? Yeah. That well, seems like I, a bad way to live your life. And yeah, and I can do you one better, even on, on episode six. When when we first see the droids, when when Berg shoots the little droid and then the, the bigger droids come in. Oh, yeah, the mouse droid and then like the yeah. Yeah. They shoot at them and like it barely makes them flinch. Right when they shoot them, they shoot them with the lasers, with the blasters. Yeah, keep on coming, and then we have what is probably the best fight scene in the whole series. Which oh yeah, is it's great. Mando fucking up the droids left and right, it's so great. And I've I noticed in that, like, it's nice to see Mando not just like completely fucked him up. Like he has armor and like he gets hit and knocked down, but he still yeah. like keeps going. Like I, I really appreciate that he's not just like Superman who can't be touched. Yeah, no, he's like the he's more like Batman, right? He gets punched and he keep stands back up like twice yeah. as pissed. Exactly. Yeah. But then when when they like you said they betray him and shove him into the the prison cell and then he comes out and now he's hunting them and we see uh Mayfeld who had shot the the droids before and who mm-hmm. Rand says he's like a marksman, right? Yeah. Uh or a sharpshooter. Then at the second time when they see him, he literally shot, gives, like, he shoots them, each of them, once in the back, and they're dead. He shoots them in the head. Yeah, why didn't he shoot them in the head before? I don't know. Yeah, it's like, so, like, it didn't was, work the first time. down, that's Come why. on, come on. Uh, listen, I... <laughs> but... It's, it's inconsistent character work, but at least, like, in the, in the episode, he shot him in the chest, it didn't work, he shot him in the head, it killed him, like... Fine, I guess. And, and that's a good segue to something I wanted to mention here. This episode is probably the most perfect example of how we can find little things to nitpick about, but yep. the whole thing is so good as like as as a whole. Yes, that we don't care. It's like fine. He he managed to find like we will make excuses, right? One hundred percent. Oh, he found you know their uh, like weak spot in the back of the head, and that's how he killed them. Or, you know, how come, you know, Berg was able to hold one door, but not the other door? Like, whatever. Just as a secondary thing, like, the question I have there is, like, I don't understand how he didn't die. Like, Mm -hmm. like that, of all the people escaping, I get it. You don't, Mando doesn't, you don't show Mando killing them. But Berg, it's like he drops a door on him. He's able to stand up, but the other door closes. So, like. Closes on his face. Yeah, it looks like, like no guts come out, but I'm just like, how did he survive that? Like, did he jump yeah. out of the way and, like, he's stunned? Like, I guess it's like, okay, to your point, it's plausible, whatever, we're not too worried about it. Yeah, and, and this is like, again, another story that doesn't really drive too much of the story. Oh, sorry, another story, another episode that doesn't really drive the story forward, even less than the last one. It just uh, shows a yeah. little bit of his past, right? It shows his past and it also shows how dangerous he actually is, I think, as a bounty hunter. Yeah. More yeah. more than the hunting Fennec Shan did. Which I'm I'm much more like I'm super glad about. I, I love this episode. Like to me is at least from the first season, it's definitely my favorite episode. Yeah. I don't I didn't like Natalia Tena's acting as Xian. It's too exaggerated, but I don't know. I mean the whole hissing thing and like like laughing like maniacally and then being i don't know it's just i don't i didn't like the way she portrayed shan but again small thing yeah that's hard because it's like i don't know how i would expect shan to be played so like i don't if that's the way you want to play her i'm like i guess um it is weird 
that she's like that, and then she was she hooked up with Amanda. Like that just seems like a weird pairing that they they hint at. But it's, so it's it's kind of like what I said about Grief Karga, which I'll have more comments about later. It's like it feels like it's a nonsensical character in the sense that it's incoherent, but it's a yeah. it's a minor thing. Yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to say, uh, then I'll, I'll let you have your last comment, and we can go to the next one. Is shout out to Bill Burr for having the very first Bostonian accent in Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, full Boston. on. No, even not even attempting at hiding it. It's great. No, Boston existed in the Star Wars universe, confirmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he can have a Boston accent uh, and be an ex Imperial trooper, but John Boyega has can't. to. Yeah, he can't. He can't be English. Anyways, no. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to point out, I just really enjoyed the Baby Yoda thing where he like uses his hand to try to stop the bot, and then Mando shoots him, and he looks at his hand like he blew him up. Just yeah, pr- priceless work from Baby Yoda. Yeah, uh, he throughout all of this season, he's just a, tr- a little troll. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So chapter seven. Yes. So here we get to you know the 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 payoff. Let's call it. So in this episode, basically, he receives another message from Grief Cargo, who he thought he had killed, but he did not, and he basically sets. You know, a classic trap. Even Mando knows, right? Oh, come back. The the client is is, you know, being all all bad and, and I hate him and he's he's a, a booby head. Please come back and we'll you know, with my help, we can take him out and then I'll welcome you back to the guild. Which obviously turns out to be, like I said, a trap. But in between, I guess grief gets, you know. How can you how can you want to kill Baby Yoda after two seconds with him? So, especially after he saves your life, yeah, right? I mean, that that really is helpful to save <laughs> yeah. the life part. Yeah, so he betrays his uh, trap companions. It's a, a a triple twist. I get. I don't know. I, I lost count at some point. Um, and then they they go in with the actual plan that he told uh, Kara and. And Mando, who, you know, Kara, uh, he went after Kara to help him because obviously he didn't trust Karga, came with her, went to find her on, on Sorgan. Yeah. And, and he also got uh, Quill. Quill and... Yeah, to, to take care of, of Baby Yoda. And then we find that he reprogrammed IG-11 to be a nurse droid. They really <laughs> spent a lot of time explaining how he did that. Yeah, reasons. and I like that. It's It's... It's a weird enough concept going from assassin droid to nurse droid. I don't know if I like, and I'll talk about this a little bit later. I don't know if I like the fact that he had to relearn everything like if it was a baby or something. But I I like that, you know, Quill is supposed to be, he's a nut-not, so he's supposed to be very good with, like, mechanics and, and droid stuff. Yeah. And that shows, right? Mm-hmm. And and so he goes find Quill and, and IG-11 and Quill... Uh, accepts taking care of baby Yoda. He goes to, to Kara to get her help. And once Karga betrays the betrayers, uh, they go on with the plan to kill the client and take, you know, the CD back uh, the or Navarro back, I guess, because they talk about it as if it's the whole planet, but I guess there's only one major city there. I don't know, man. That's what it feels like, because everything else is just lava planes, right? It's un- yeah, it's unclear. Which, which uh, well- is fine. I'm looking at the episode one. It calls it the outpost world of Navarro. So, yeah. So it's probably a small world with just one major, like, outpost. habitable place. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he goes in <coughs> with uh, 
just the pod without Baby Yoda inside while Quill tries to ride back. Yeah. And shit ensues, basically, right? Because yep. Karga severely underestimates how many, how much uh, of the Empire is now back in the city. Which is weird. Like, anyways, I don't care. But well, it's weird. You, that we'll, he... we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. Let me just finish saying what happens. Because yeah. this, one, this one ends on a very, very dire uh, cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Uh, not not much, as much as a cliffhanger, but on a downer note. Kind of like... It's a bummer note. It's a very Empire Strikes Back feeling, sure. basically. Yeah. Um, which is Quill's death. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this and you don't know there's there's spoilers, you're a dumb dumb and you deserve to be spoiled. Um, yes. So yeah, so they go in with the plan to try to kill the client. Hey, the client does die, but not in the way that they want it. And, and then we're left with what the hell is going to happen with Baby Yoda and with them because they're pinned down by a new character, uh, Moff Gideon, played very well, very nicely by Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah, let's get into him in episode eight because that's where he really shines. Yeah, agreed. So I'll just start by saying I really like the idea. Like It's almost like a reunion episode in, in the sense that we see people that we haven't seen in a few of the episodes, Kara, Quill, IG-11. It's very, it's very nice the way that they fill in the backstory for both Kara and Quill yes. in the conversation there when they're in the that ship. That does a great job. Yeah. yeah. It's very unobtrusive. Like, it's not yeah. like, a, hey, look, exposition. No, it's like, it's just a conversation that's very believable. And it turns out Baby Yoda knew about Gina Carano before the rest of us did because he tried to take care of it for us, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was stopped by Mando, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I don't know if unfortunately, but, you know. Maybe, maybe like the showrunners now wish, ah, oh, damn it, we had a perfect opportunity. <laughs> I, I do. I just want to point out because I, I brought it up, but I just want to point out like, I really enjoy like the emotions that Baby Yoda goes through there. He's like, he sees his friend in trouble and he chokes her out and he goes from like choking her to like, I'm going to fucking murder you. And then when Mando stops him, he's just like, what, what, what happened? What, I don't, I don't yeah, even know what, what's what going did I, on. I, all in the yeah. eyes, right? Yeah, it's just, it's that's great. fucking great work. For a puppet, and we know it's a puppet, it's, oh man. It's so well done. Like, yeah. really, really kudos to the to the puppeteering team because it, it's like four people, I want to say. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. it's No, it was great, yeah. Like, the, you can see he is, like, he's 50 years old, right? That's what the client tells us. Yes. But he really is a not, not a baby in the sense of it being, like, completely. Ment- mentally. Yeah. But yeah. He, he is a toddler or, like, an infant for sure because yes. he goes, like, oh, God. They, it seems like they like each other, but now they're fighting, and and he's he's been taking care of me, and I like him, so I'm gonna help. And and he goes, like you said, he goes from like I'm gonna try to help to I'm gonna murder her, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really quickly. Which I, I yeah, I think it was great that that whole scene with in in the ship is very interesting because it also shows, you know, and this is something that we see um, a lot in in after or you know even in the original trilogy uh and from then onwards in terms of chronology how mystified and how mystical the whole idea of the force and the jedi is it's like they're like oh what the hell is that right they they know how did he do that and they so they don't know about it right it makes jedi fun again right yeah it goes from like jedi being like the problem solvers of of this like star wars universe to being like 
this shit's fucked. It is insane that a tiny baby can almost kill this person by doing nothing. Yeah, the way that Jedi are portrayed in the prequel trilogy, I don't dislike it. I just think it's a different tack, and and it becomes boring after a fashion, right? And, and in this way, the 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 mystery behind it makes it fun again. I, I agree it, with you. Yeah, it's just it, the challenge in the latest trilogy is just that like it, the way that they do those three movies is like the Jedi are going to solve all the problems. Like yeah. these 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 non Jedi's are only there because they have to be. But like we have as few of them as possible, and like they try to make a big show of it at the end when all the non Jedi's come to blow up all the space dogs and their dog dicks. But um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but other than that, like it just seems like this is a driver for Jedi versus Jedi stuff, which I don't dislike. But the, unlike the original trilogy, where it's just like a couple of people are Jedi, but we still need real people to get most of the dirty work done, and the Jedi do their own Jedi thing. In the new ones, it's all Jedi's matter only, and everybody else is just secondary. It's also a factor of, and I, I we're not talking about the prequels here, but just as a side note, it's also a factor of the way that they were portrayed, the Jedi and Force users in general in the prequels. It's yeah. like when we hear, hear about them in the original trilogy, they're like supposed to be exceedingly rare, right? And then when you show that it, that wasn't the case before, I don't, I don't mind it. I like it. Like I, I've, I've been saying forever now that, you know, Luke is my guy. I love Jedi. Whenever I, the, the few times I had the opportunity to play Star Wars RPG, I played a Jedi, right? So I don't dislike it. I just think it was too exaggerated. The amount of people, the, you know, what they, like, they, it's like they did everything and everybody else is just there to watch or to be a nuisance. Yeah. Like Every- you said. And everybody's used to Jedi. Jedi's just, it's a commonplace thing. That I don't mind, right? And yeah. that explains other things like, you know, the Mandalorians having a way to deal with them, even though they're not Force users, that kind of, it's fine. But I just think it was overdone. And that's, sure. let's leave the prequels alone. Yeah, yeah, let's get back to, when you yeah. say prequels, do you mean? The prequel, like, the prequel movies, one, two, and three. One, two, okay, so you actually mean the prequels, just we're not twisted. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so. Is there any like in episode seven? Some of the things I I I noticed. Um, I just want to call out because uh, we did mention that um, Nick Dolte is the voice of the Ugnot, but the Ugnot mm-hmm. is actually portrayed by uh, Misty R- Rosas. I think. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, she is doing all the acting in and the Ugnot. So good. She does Holy a great shit. job. Yeah, yeah. That is very impressive. Um, so I just want to call that out. Um, the other thing I want to mention is I think Gina Carano's acting got worse. Like it, yes. it starts to get really obvious that she's bad at acting um, yeah. in, in these in these episodes, unfortunately, because she just bounces from emotions to no emotion to like a weird speck of emotion to like, like the when she calls out, they're going to run like rats. It's like weirdly inflected. And it's just like, eh, she okay. has a lot of weird inflections in this one. And the next one, the way she yeah. talks well, in this one, when, when Karga gets, you know, slashed by those flying beasts. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second because that bothered me a little bit the way the way that that worked. But like, just like, uh, stand still. They got you good. Like it's yeah. not like just the intonation. Like that's yeah. not how a human would say that. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but like Karga, like I think he's doing this intentionally, but it's hard to like know if he's ever being serious. He's just so yeah. hammed. Yeah. Um, so. And then watching it. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say the last thing I noticed about Cargo is like, you know, props to you for like murdering the bad guys or your your buddies who are gonna, you know, turn on Mando. 
and then trying to be like, yeah, we were going to kill you, but now I don't want to kill you. And then just be like, I can help you. It's like, oh it's, yeah, it's a little it's too much. <laughs> it's real well, it's, a li- it's a little too much face healed. Like, it's almost like, it's not like it's a revolving door of I'm a, I'm your friend. I'm not your friend. I'm your friend. I'm not your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, when are you stepping out of the revolving door? Cause I don't know where we're at. Yeah. So having, having watched the, the, the behind the scenes series for the series, um, I now know that grief was supposed to die on the third episode yeah and you know they thought that the the character worked well and they liked carl weathers uh you know as him so they brought him back so i guess that explains why you know in the first three episodes he was sort of like a nonsensical character like i said kind of like you know xian he's just a throwaway so who cares and so they flash him out a lot better here and it's that scene where he kills the two the two uh bonnie hunters um it shows how badass he is like he turns around and he like draws and shoots both of them over mandel and kara's shoulder and kills them like it's it's a very badass move it's very very well done yeah it makes kind of show he's not just some some like rando dude Yeah, yeah 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 so um but yeah that revolving door is a little weird and i still think like i don't i don't like he's it's too much Chinery suing, uh, uh, scenery chewing. What that was dyslexia there. Wow, that's yeah. the PTBR coming out in you. Yeah, no, no, it was just dyslexia, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, so he he chews way too much scenery there. Like, I, it's too much. And, and I, like, I'm fine with a character being hammy, but come on, you will see. I think you'll see a great example in episode eight when we talk about it of how you chew scenery in a, a very fun and believable way. Versus Carweather is just doing it regardless of what's happening around him. Yeah, well, in, in episode uh, seven as well, uh, because Werner Herzog always chews scenery oh, that's when true. he's there. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Werner. He when, pops he, up. when he like caresses the, the, the armor and shit, it's like, oh, yeah. dude, what? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like, I'd like to see the baby. And it's just like, well, we'll be very quiet. It's just like, God damn it. How did you make that into something you chewed up like that? <laughs> yeah. No, and it's like, I would like to see him. Like, what are you gonna are you gonna eat him? Like, what the fuck is happening right now? It's so yeah, so there I don't I think you know being hammy has a place, but I think yes. Carl Weathers just does it too much. Yeah, it's not if, if I think of the, the the hammy character, I think the most about Carl Weathers is Happy Gilmore when he plays Chubbs. And like it works there. It mm-hmm. just fits the tone of the, the that movie. And here, like it's fun in the first episode. But I think they had a hard time connecting it from going to being a, a, a hammy, scene chewy character that only existed in one episode to trying to flesh him out. It gets weird because how do you how do you go from being a, a scene chewer like that, the way he was doing it, to being an impactful character? That a is, meaningful one, yeah. 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 Like and he's, also, he's not a bad actor, right? No, that's the thing. And so it, it, even, it highlights even more how bad of an actor uh, Gina Carano is. Yeah. So, like, not only is she bad, but she has someone, like, overacting and, and doing a fairly good job of emoting, right? Yeah. Right beside her. So, it just makes it worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. But, any other... but it... go ahead. Well, I was going to ask if there's any other call-outs for episode seven. Or, or sorry, um, chapter seven. Yeah, yeah. We should probably name them like that because it's it's going to be weird for the next season. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have a few things. So, I think this is probably... The tensest thing in in Star Wars canon ever. 
like the the scene with the client and then that that standoff with uh, Moff Gideon at the end it's so tense i don't remember being feeling anything that suspenseful anywhere else even even episode 5 uh, sorry not episode well it is episode 5 let's call it empire strikes back <laughs> there you go it's a very tense movie right yes but this is more this feel like i'm almost on on the edge of my seat the whole time yeah cuz cuz empire strikes back is it's half tense half dark tone so like it's yeah. like it's a bit more balanced where this is just ten thousand percent tense right like like it's like you know obviously you know your heroes are going to survive but like if they put it they set it up in such a way they're just like how the fuck are they going to get out of this problem yeah and and in here is like i was watching this the second time right and i was still like tense right so like very well done very, very good job in setting like the suspense for this um Another thing, another good thing, and then I'll, I'll touch on the last kind of bad thing that I want to say, uh, and then we can move on to the last episode uh, of the season, is how lovely is it to see a TIE fighter land in a way that's fucking believable? Like, folding the wings and laying down in a way that makes sense, not like just balancing on, like, on teetering on, like, tipping over. <laughs> yeah, it looks badass. And it yeah. looks badassly believable, which is very important. You know, like uh, every other time you see, like I get the way that TIE fighters are stored, let's say, in ships because they're hung from, from hooks yeah. by the center. That's fine. fine. But when they land, they land on the wings and it feels like a stiff breeze would tip them over. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that, that was very good. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to say is I don't like... It's a it's very contrived and, and convenient the way that when they sat down to camp, that you know they had three or four bodyguards with them, Carga uh, did, mm-hmm. and then two conveniently get taken away, and then one uh, um, what's the name? What's the name of the thing? Blurgs, Blurgs, right? Yeah, two of the Blurgs die. Yeah, so it's uh, it's all very convenient because then when Carga has to turn on them, it's just two people that he has to shoot, not four. Car- well, but there's only three. Bounty hunters with cargo. Still, he would still have to shoot three. He had, sure. does have three arms, right? And also, it, it like it's they're left with exactly one blurg just so that Quill can ride back. So like, I get why it was just like it could have been done in a better way. I think, or just maybe don't bring three bodyguards. Just bring two, or whatever, right? Um, I guess I don't know. I feel like it's a like, small thing, but I, it, it bothered me a little bit. I don't, yeah, I don't care. Like, it's one of those things where you're telling me a story, tell it to how you want and do what you want. Like, it wasn't, it didn't take me out of the story. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. So, so for me, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I I thought that the three bounty hunters he he brought, like, I don't know what their getups were. Like, that one guy had, like, a fucking pot on his head as his helmet. Like, (laughs) it didn't fit at all. It was like, can he see out of that thing? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 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 But yeah, like, I see what you're saying. Like, it's just, it's, for all the creative storytelling they do, that is a very tropey way to to clean. Yeah, it up. was very rushed, right? They, they were, I think, they were, they like you said, this is a, such a small thing. They would just go, you know what? Coincidences happen. Fuck it, right? But it was just like, I don't know. It bothered me a little bit, not enough that I I was taken out of it or that I started hating it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, um, I agree with you. I just want to point out if you haven't watched the making of stuff um you won't know that most of the stormtroopers in in um whatever that town's called 
name Navarro. Me. Navarro, thank you. Oh, I might need to get my brain checked. Anyways, um, <laughs> in Navarro, that's the 501st. So the yes. 501st is is the sort of official cosplayers for stormtroopers. So if you want to be like a stormtrooper that shows up at, at cons and events and you want to be part of like the actual group brigade, that's the 501st. And so they called a bunch of them in to play that squad of stormtroopers. And I was shocked to hear that because they looked perfect. I had yeah, no idea yeah. they were not like professional actors for lack of a better term. Yeah, and they, they do a lot of charity work too, which is great. Um, and so uh, I would highly recommend watching the, the behind oh, the scenes definitely. If, you, if you like the series. But like yeah. the they what they say there is like, these people know how to be stormtroopers. Like we don't have to give them stage directions. They yeah. know how to how to act. They know how to pose. They know how to aim weapons. They know how to behave. Yeah, it's it's all great, and and it's such a nice recognition, like for them, because like you know how cosplayers they like to have uh, props from the actual shows in yep. their costumes. Well, guess what? They all have full-on costumes that are props from the show now they are is, props. i thought it was a very good they are <laughs> yeah. props yeah. yeah no it was great and they were all like it they i i believed in them as a as a platoon of stormtroopers right without much directing at all from what yeah. we see in the in the behind the scenes so 100 yeah. all right so we moved to chapter eight called yeah. redemption uh we come back in and we see that uh the group is still fucked uh, Moff Gideon, who we find out who he is, because uh, Mando apparently knows him from his his time as being a foundling, uh, just chews up scenery like it's going out of style. Um, <laughs> like, well, like it's going to go bad, right? He needs to eat it all. Yeah, yeah. It's like the it's like the fridge. It stopped working, and you got to eat yep. all the food in the fridge. And he everything just, is perishable in that yeah. scenery. <laughs> He's got to go through it. He great, and yeah. and he does a lot of you know like. It's describing things and giving information to us as well as when he goes through that, um, you know, kind of telling the team what's going to happen to them, trying to draw them out, uh, talking about the baby and, you know, what he's going to do, what they don't know, what they do know. Um, and so it makes an effective system to sort of get get that on the table before all the action happens. And so what ends up happening is we find out that obviously a couple of scout troopers picked up Yoda. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally uh, then talk about not wanting to piss off Moff Gideon, punch Yoda in the head a bunch of times. Man, that whole thing is so hilarious. Yeah. Like after such a dark ending on 7, I, I, it's like, okay, I needed this laugh. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I know there's a bit of an uproar on the internet about the, the way they treated Baby Yoda, but like, I don't know, man. Their characters are stormtroopers. They could be shitty. That's fine. Like exactly, they're yeah. supposed to be shitty, and I enjoy them pulling out their pistols and not being able to shoot a can from like yep. five feet away. Like it just shows how bad stormtrooper equipment is. So that's why they can't hit anything like that. That joke and nod is yeah. is fun. So it's a great the way little to... the little shaking of the of the gun and it's sounding like yeah. a paint can is perfect. <laughs> yeah, the rattling around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's a great way to start off the episode. And then you see IG Eleven ride to the rescue. Just chewing up people shooting them all come in and that's that sets off you know the the tenseness that it was getting was going to give them to sundown and they had no way to escape and ig11 comes in and really kicks things up to 11 and we see you know mando almost die uh we get his helmet removed for the first time in the season um and i think it was a really effective way for them to take the helmet off without having him break his his code yep um using I, I wrote it down exactly it's a very touching moment yeah, yeah. And it was nice because then it wasn't like five seconds, right? It was like they got to have it off for a few, like a, a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. 
and then he got back to sprayed back to fixes everything and um you know <laughs> more ex- magic magic it's the same and then and, uh they end up escaping uh through a lava tunnel lava tube uh and uh ig11 sacrifices himself so everybody can escape uh they do run into the armor one more time and we find out that most of the mandalorians had helped uh mando escape were killed um we get to see the armor kick some ass which is fun um, and then at the very end, uh, Gideon comes around with his TIE fighter and Mando's new jetpack. He flies up there and blows up a ship um, and making Gideon crash. And at the very, very end, we see Gideon get out of the TIE fighter by using a very special sword to cut a hole in the side of the TIE fighter. Yes. So we find out that Moff Gideon is in possession of the Darksaber. And we will not go into all of the backstory about the Darksaber here because... We that are... requires half of a season of Clone Wars, yes. Yeah, you need to watch some Clone Wars. But at a yeah. high level, he who or he or she who holds the Darksaber is the leader of the Mandalorians. Let's just roughly leave it there. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch a little bit more on it at the end, but yeah. It's not, so, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into detail, yeah. but yeah. So that's, that's, that's the tenor of that last episode. They get the baby. Mando leaves with the baby onto new adventures. He's been told by the armor. He has to reunite baby Yoda with his family, whatever that may mean. Um, he did call them wizards, which I thought was really hilarious. Sorcerers. Or sorcerers. That's right. Sorcerers. Yeah, even better. Yeah. Um, they always do. Even yeah. in Clone Wars, they do as well. But it's just fun to hear it. Being yeah. Said, oh, it's right? so great. Cause it's, if you think about it from a, from a regular fantasy trope, that's kind of what they are. Hundred yeah. percent, um, and you see Kara Dune decide to stay with Grief Karga on Navarro and do God knows what rebuild. I don't know. Get with the bounty hunters again. Well, it seems like she's going to be his security detail, as he calls it. Sure, yeah, some muscle, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's how the uh, the season one ends. Baby Yoda and, and Mando are off to to find Baby Yoda's family. Yeah. So. I, I you touched on a lot of the things that I that I really liked on on this. Um, one thing that you didn't mention was the uh, the flashback to to Mando's past. Oh yes, we got how, a a bigger story. But and this is an important thing. Normally, especially TV series, they tend to to spend an ungodly amount of time on flashback. Sometimes you know, especially those longer twenty four episode uh, series that we used to have when it was just purely TV you can be sure that this would have been three episodes and it would have been boring as shit, right? Yep. This, it's the perfect length. Like, you get the story. There's no, almost no dialogue, if, if any dialogue at all in it, which is, I, I find, is a perfect way of conveying that it's a flashback. He's remembering things. And, and you get, like, you understand why he hates droids, how, you know, how he first met the Mandalorians, why he thinks the Mandalorians are so fucking cool because they are. <laughs> yeah. Right. And all that kind of stuff. So I, I thought it was a very, I wish most series that have flashbacks to, to like convey stories. I wish they would do that. Yeah. Right. Instead, even in star Wars, we get whole movies of flashbacks, you know, solo. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's even if the story is great, like, there's so many foregone conclusions in flashbacks that you don't want to see a whole thing, right? At least for me. I was like, okay, tell me the story so I know what you're talking about and move on. And that's what they did, and I thought it was great. Yeah. Right, when he was explaining how he knows who Moff Gideon is, and we get to hear his name, Din Djarin. Yeah. 
which I, I thought it was a lost opportunity to call him Din Jarin like that because it rhymes. But, you know, that's just me. Um, I like the name, actually. It's very weird and, and exotic. Yeah. And, and so I really liked that. And uh, one other thing that I like to touch on is IG-11's death. Which is likely like he goes from being an assassin droid on on, on episode one, I want to say, or two. I don't remember where where it was the first time. I think it was. It one. was the end of one. Yeah, and he goes to likely being the most human character in this whole fucking thing, which is amazing as a droid, right? And Taika Waititi does a phenomenal job voicing him, and and the whole thing, you know, I'm not a living thing, so he gets to save Mando. And then don't don't be sad. Oh, I'm not sad. Oh, I'm a nurse droid. I analyzed your voice. It's great. Like even the little touches of humor there and him sacrificing himself and going, I was never alive. I'm not going to die. I'm just going to fulfill my purpose. Like the thinking of a droid as a droid while still being very humane and very human is amazing to me. That's probably the strongest scene in the whole series, like in terms of emotion. Is that scene when he decides to just walk the lava and blow himself up? It's great. Yeah, yeah, and I did enjoy his little joke when he said he was damaged in his central processing unit, <laughs> yeah. um, and he's like, "Yes, that was a joke. It's supposed to, <laughs> it's supposed to make you not think about this." So, yeah, <laughs> great. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was all really well done. Um, the only thing I would mention here, I kind of mentioned it, but uh, already, but it's just fun to see the armor again. See how chill and absolutely, sorry, resolute the armor is in terms I of love cleaning her. up. And then watching her just destroy um, yeah, stormtroopers, especially yeah. when she uses the hammer and like the the stormtrooper armor smashes and scatters everywhere. It's yeah, such when, a great when, touch. When she hammers the last one that's that's down and it's yeah, off screen, exactly. and it like the armor flies up from the hit. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I thought was really weird was seeing that R two unit stand up and have arms and legs. It's just like that thing creepy. Is creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's like oh, it's an R two. It's like oh, what's happening? Yeah. Why is he standing up? That's not right. Um, and, and the last thing I'll, I'll say about this is it it's like the first time in a long time for whatever reason that that whole episode eight just seemed like a, like a really strong uh, role-playing game vibe of like you have to go to the quest giver, you get to restock on your provisions, the quest giver tells you the next step of your quest, there's some danger or urgency to keep you moving on your quest. Um, you know, I, it's just, it was so like, this is, you've, I just got in a quest in WoW basically more, even more than more than wow it, this was yeah. like someone played this on a tabletop and then just decided that it was such a great story that we have to shoot it now with actual actors and you know million dollars worth of 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 uh, effects and and equipment it's great yeah. I, I agree 100 percent. it's such a there's such a party together because there's one of each yes you know there's no repetition like a three of no no is one of each yeah yeah like- yeah there's four of them, and each one has a special role. And you know exactly what what they're filling, or five, I guess, with IG. But same thing, right? Yeah. No, the fact that there is a droid there as part of the party is great. And then they have, you know, you have a, a baby Yoda who isn't part of the party, but he is like the MacGuffin in this, in the sense that they have to protect it. And as 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 a side note, I really like uh, on on episode seven something I forgot to mention is when when they're being attacked by the flying creatures how they surround the pod even though yep. the pod is closed is great it's like yep. the just the the feeling that a baby generates in people 
in this galaxy or their galaxy is the same and i, I think it's so great like the, yeah. just the, the little touch of humanity there yeah he's super cute which helps oh yeah <laughs> he's an ugly baby they're like yeah yeah whatever yeah. <laughs> i like how you know quill says uh, oh that one's not engineered it's too ugly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like an Ugnaught calling something ugly is, you know. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. So so we've come to the end of season one. Yeah. Um, what are your overall thoughts? So I think you said it way back when we watched this the first time in 2019. And, you know, coming off of Rise of Skywalker and being really frustrated and really mad, you said this made me love Star Wars again. And I, I don't think I can put it any better than that. It's just like watching this is like, oh, this is why I like this. You know what I mean? You get people that love the material, that are good at what they do. Like, you know, John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni are like multiple hat tips to them for all of this. And all the, the other three directors as well, or four directors. Um, the, this, this is just great. So I think it was a great way of, coming around like for disney to say hey guys don't don't you know don't mistrust us just yet yeah it, that was that was my whole my take as a, as a general season on this I, I i agree with you i think this is the difference between having people who have a conviction in their story and have confidence in their ability to tell a story in the star wars universe versus people who are making movies and were so scared of not hitting the right note that they try to appease everybody and manage to appease basically nobody in, in yep. those three movies. Yeah. Like they, it was so divisive because of the way they did it, that it ended like it ended up alienating a bunch of people, even if they got, haha, you know, the Redditors that are like, see, I told you, but that that's a minority, I think. Well, and even like, between the three movies, those people who are like, I don't think I would be hard pressed to find anybody who loved all three movies. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and even from like a, a character and story development perspective, like you have arguably the runtime of one long movie with, with the eight episodes, like, you know, you're like 30. maybe three yeah. hours if that. Sure. And I care a lot more about every single character there than I do about any of the characters on the movies. And I think that is the thing, the way they did this for me, and this is my big point for, for this first season is everything is small, right? Everything is, it's in a corner of the universe. It just impacts that corner of the universe. And they focus on that corner of the universe mattering to the people involved with it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the problem with the, the last three movies was that this is supposed to be universe altering every time it's got to be bigger it's got to be better it's got to involve more of the universe and fuck it up even worse than the last time and then like you don't need to do that to tell a fun story this this is the perfect example of how you can tell a small story about a guy who finds this baby and decides to do quote unquote the right thing to to not turn him over to the the evil people that want him and to try to save him and find him a home and and that that's why this works so well is because they had a small scope and they're able to really flesh out and build a great world with this small scope in mind. In their in their defense, I don't think you could have made a small scope movie for the last three, given that the first six are galaxy altering, right? But it doesn't mean that it has to be bigger 
and like the stakes doesn't have to be higher and it doesn't have to be more power all the time. Like you can make a world encompassing thing or a galaxy encompassing thing in this case without everybody just blowing everybody else in the previous movies to smithereens. Like if you think about power levels in the last three movies and compared to the other six, it's like, why, why do the other six even matter? Yeah. And we've said this a million times here. Right. And so one thing that I want to call attention to in this is, yeah, I agree with you. This is like a, a personal story, right? It's Mendo's personal story and baby Yoda's personal story to some extent. And, and all of the other characters, but it does have the galaxy, potentially galaxy-altering implications looming sure. over this. What if the Empire gets Baby Yoda? What then? What are they going to do with them? And they do a very good job of not telling us what, what the plans were. Right? Yeah. And so you can have the galaxy at stake somehow. You don't have to shove it in our faces. And you also don't have to fucking gang-grape our childhoods <laughs> with dog dicks. <laughs> in ships like so it's it's not just about the the scale which i agree with you that those three last movies are ridiculously large in scale but it's how about how you go about it right sure and and this this strikes a very good balance of this story is they go everywhere in the galaxy but it is a very personal story and it makes you care about it it doesn't just try to shove things oh you love this here you go i'm gonna shove this in your face yeah Here's Chewbacca needs a medal. We'll just give him a home. Just don't worry. We fixed it. Everything's yeah. fine again. And it, I, you know, I don't want to make it about comparing this to those three movies. But to your point, coming off it's those hard movies, not to right coming off those movies and coming into this, we just yeah. needed a win, uh, and oh, thankfully yeah. we got it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's hard not to compare because of how close they are to each other in terms of release, but. Even if this was released, like if this was released before the movies, oh my God, poor movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? And this is just, I just thought of this and maybe, maybe uh, we'll, ne- we'll never know ever. But, you know, if they had released this first and then they had seen the reaction that we had to it, maybe the movies would have been better because they wouldn't have felt the need to pander. I don't know. It will ne- we'll never know this. Right. I think they were too far down the hole they had dug with the first two movies to ever have gotten out of it with one more movie. Yeah, no, I mean, if this came even before uh, chapter seven, or sorry, episode seven of the movies. Oh, yeah, maybe then, but I don't but, think that yeah. was ever going to happen. No, no, no. Just before Rise of Skywalker, there was no way. Yeah, because yeah. they were never going to go to this sort of team. Like, the, the key here is, be- I think part of it was they had never done a TV show about Star Wars. And so I think, like, I don't. I don't want to say people were meddling with the movies, but the expectations were lower here, so the scope got to be smaller. So, like, yeah. there wasn't as much attention paid to it being like this has to make a billion dollars at the box office, right? Not, not just that, right? This isn't touching on the main Star Wars canon story, which is the Skywalker yes. story, right? Yeah, but it's, it's. I don't want to talk about the movies again, but like those movies missed so much in terms of story arc on, and character, and this shows to me that given the right or given to the right people um i i don't have i was afraid for star wars future before and this eased my mind in as such like okay they they have enough you have the john the john favreau and the and the dave filonis of the world that can handle this well 
I just hope after season two, I hear it's even better than season one. I haven't watched it, so that's going to be interesting for the next couple episodes. I hope that, you know, if it manages to keep even this level of, of, of quality, just get Dave Filoni a movie, man. Please, some Star Wars movie so that we can like it again as well. <laughs> well, that's that. That's the the movie I'm looking at most is the Taika Waititi uh, because yeah. I think he him having worked with John Favreau and Dave Filoni so much, I think he'll be able to really infuse that same thought process and maybe even have them as consultants and really engaging in that movie. So yeah, that's, that's, what that's I was my first too. belief. Yeah, because if you watch again the the behind the scenes thing, like they. They were all of the other directors were were banking or, or like leaning very hard on the two of them. Yeah. As like, okay, you guys love this so much, especially Dave Filoni. Like you're they say you even like you're the purest lover of this from all of us. And they were leaning very hard on him to say, What do you think? Right? Right. To make it Star Wars. Make it feel yeah. like Star Wars. So the one last note that I have, um, and then and unless you have anything, I mean we're running pretty heavy on time already i have things it's not just a podcast for you to talk you know what since what okay whatever so the one thing that i missed on the last four episodes is the disruptor rifle the sniper it kind of disappears and i love that gun so much but i hear it comes back so that's that's good. yes yeah, yeah. They, it's funny they go through runs of things where it's like he has them and he uses them and then you forget about them and like for yeah. example the, the whistling birds only make a, a brief return when he's fighting uh berg and i don't know it if doesn't he, work. he tries to fire them off or they fire off because of how berg hits them but yeah they do nothing um so so there are things where he gets stuff and it'll come bouncing back in and out so yeah it, it is interesting how they do that um the one thing i kind of wanted to to touch on here for for just the whole entire run of of the mandalorian is they do a good job of building mystery into it that is really interesting and insightful um and and but answering the questions at the same time right like the baby yoda thing is a great example of he goes to get the package oh my god it's a baby yoda what the fuck is happening right now mm-hmm. and then he, he saves it and he tries to figure out how to, what to do with it they're gonna hide no that doesn't work okay we need money we need to find some other stuff okay we now we have to deal with these guys looking for him head on so we can be safe and and the armor is like okay we, you, now you got to take him home so now you have like a setup for season two of okay he's gonna look for baby yoda's family but you also have the dark saber reveal which is like okay that's gonna come back what's going on there you know, so there's, there's, it's not just the Baby Yoda story. Now it's like, well, how the hell does this guy have the dark saber? And in a way that, if you didn't watch Rebels and Clone Wars and shows like that, it's just like a cool sword. I've never seen that fucking cool ass sword before. Mm-hmm. And if you have watched them, it's just like, oh shit, he's got the dark saber. That yeah. is, that's like the level of intrigue and interest that you want in the show, and and they continue to do it in in season two where they they bring mysteries, but they answer those mysteries, and then they bring new mysteries, which I think is really smart to keeping the show moving forward yeah so you touched on what i said i was going to touch on on the dark saber thing um so uh you touched on it like right it, that, that just the fact that it shows there like if you if you don't know you don't know it and then it's fine but if you know you know where they're going with yeah that and especially if you watched rebels you know what would that actually means to wield that thing and and so uh that that's all, all that i really wanted to say about it i wasn't going to you know and and I think it's it's an interesting way that you put this because I hadn't put it in that way in my head, but like 
they do set you know a non-contrived reason for a season two to happen rather than just oh this is making money now we have to continue doing it right yeah. it's the creed you have to go find your foundlings family or you have to raise them one or the other so that just gives him a reason to keep on doing shit right and on top of that the Mandal- like if you watched rebels and this is why i wanted to touch it if you watch rebels and if you watch clone wars you know that not all mandalorians behave the way that they do Right, there yep. are people that are born in Mandalore that consider themselves Mandalorians that behave in different ways, and so they're definitely going to find each other, or they can find each other. Let's put it this way. Sure, and and that sets another path to very interesting stories and crossing those stories more than anything else. So let me ask you this: How much hmm. do you have any knowledge of season two? Was anything spoiled for you at all? A little bit, not yeah. nothing major, but just like characters that show up. Basically, right? Yeah, it's hard. The internet's fucking. Yeah. Bunch of yeah, jackals yeah. who can't wait to trumpet stuff. Well, you know, it's. It, I knew what what was going to happen. I I tried very hard to stay away from it a, a little bit. You get like you know, I know about Rosario Dawson. I know about uh, Kitty Sackhoff. Yeah. And so yeah. So like, I'll ask you. I'm this leaving anyways. it alone because if people didn't watch it as I did, and I don't, I don't want to spoil it for them. But yeah, yes, definitely watch it before the next episode because we are going to talk about it. So you might want to knock yep. that off. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this then, because I'm curious. Like, even though you know some things are going to happen, what are you hoping happens through the course of season season two? Oh, good. That's a good question. So, uh, ending the the way that it did, I'm hoping that um, the dark saber thing becomes uh, something about Din finding more about Mandalorians as a whole, and not just his, you know, clan or creed or whatever. Uh, and that it comes into, okay, so who's going to lead the Mandalorians next? Because I'll tell you what, the Mandalorians are not going to want it to be more fucking Gideon to do it, right? <laughs> Probably not, based on his track record. <laughs> yeah. And so that's one thing that I hope they touch on. Like, the stuff that we've seen in it, like, we see it a little bit in Clone Wars because there's the whole relationship between, uh, I think, Sadine or Serene is her name, uh, Sadine, Bo-Katan's sister yeah, and, and, Obi. and Obi-Wan. And yep. then on Rebels, I mean, one of the main characters on Rebels is a Mandalorian, right? Yep. Sabine. So you see a lot of it there. And it's I was very excited when I saw the, the Darksaber to um, see this in live action. Yes. Right? Um, one thing that I know happens that I was hoping would happen was for them to see a Jedi. I'll just leave it at that. And I'm hoping to find more about the the yoda race or you know the, like if, i'm hoping it will show a little bit more of their backstory as a race who are they maybe find out the name of the planet or you know find another character or find more information about them in like holograms and stuff like that yeah so, so that's the kind of thing i want to see uh i want to see him grow up a little bit more to become a bit more a bit less like an infant a little bit more like a, a an older child if possible at all i don't know if it's going to happen and I want to see this is off kind of like off left field, but I really want to see the Razor Crest get fucked and Mendo have to find another ship. <laughs> <laughs> you tired of the hunk of junk? No, it's just it's just because there's so much that is done in other places in Star Wars, like oh ah Millennium Falcon, which is a cool ship and I love it, but like not all ships can be like that. They should not be like that. Like iconic things are iconic because they're unique, not because every single fucking thing is unique, right? 
Yeah, and like the Razor Crest is is a relic more than it's iconic, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's what he could scrounge up. It's not right. like ooh, it's so special, right? Yeah, like if you could get access to a new ship, would you take it? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll have those questions answered in season two. I guess you'll have to wait to find out. I will, and and also I'm sure they're gonna find so because like as much of uh, as as much of nerds as we are about Star Wars. We can't compete with Dave Filoni, so I'm sure they're gonna find shit that I I didn't even know or didn't even didn't even remember about Star Wars to put in there. Oh yeah, like, definitely. As an example, that transport ship that the the troopers, oh, the, the trooper, final, <laughs> the yeah. fucking Mattel. Yeah, that was never yeah. in anything other than a toy. Yeah. So like, I was like, for me, when I saw it, I was like, oh cool, transport ship, and then you go hear about it, you're like, what? The, how did you know this? You know what I mean? Yeah, I here's what I'll tell you, and this won't be a spoiler to anybody. It's just I'm trying to like, it's the appetizer to the meal that is season two. Is they continue to do an excellent job of building out the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. in very interesting ways without making it a look at me, I'm doing the cool thing over here. Here's Han Solo's dice. They matter. They matter. They matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have a feel, and and I'm notoriously known in this podcast world here for not having watched enough of the of star trek the next generation but what little i did watch like this series have that has that feel of it being so well grounded in the canon that whatever it does is just going to spin a million other things and just gonna do a great job of like portraying that world that was created so i'm i'm super stoked to like watch it i told you when we were talking about this you know off the podcast that it, I'm, I'm, I try to watch the stuff that we're going to talk about right before we talk about him. I don't see myself being able to hold back with the second season. I'm just probably going to watch the whole thing. It's, it's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. So anyway, do you have anything else? No, I think I touched everything. All right. So it's I excellent. Think, watch it. Yes, please do. And, and then come back here and watch it again or listen to us again. Um, so I think this is all the time that we have for today. If you think we're wrong, and why would you when you know you're so wrong, um, please feel free to email us at yourwrongcast at gmail.com. Um, feel free to tell Matt how wrong he is about anything he said here. I don't see how I was wrong when we both agreed this is awesome. That makes you wrong, just to point that out. Eh, I'm sure there are things we disagreed on that they can tell you are wrong, but you know. Whatever. Try to tell me I'm wrong, too. You know, whatever you do, if you email us or not, just, you know, know that you are going to be wrong. And so for now, I am Luciano. I'm Matt. And uh, yeah, we'll see you for season two next time. <laughs>